Hi, this is Terry Jackie, author of Is This a Lousy Job or Is It Me? And you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. Joining me today is Terry Jackie. Terry is an organizational development consultant and founder of Inspired Training Institute. She holds an MS in Applied Leadership for Teaching and Learning from the University of Wisconsin. Terry is here to talk about her book, Is This a Lousy Job or Is It Me? A Real-Life Guide for Achieving Success at Work. Welcome, Terry. Thank you for having me, Bill. It's great to be here. It's great to be with you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? That would easily be my grandmother, Alice Pearl Brunner, wonderful human being who was just the single most optimistic, helpful kind-hearted, loving person I knew. It's wonderful having someone like that nearby. Was she living in your house or was she nearby? Nearby in the same small town. My mother would go to work very early in the morning. My stepfather at the time ran a bar and restaurant, so he worked very late. So grandma came out every morning to get us ready for school, me and my older brother and younger brother, and woke us up every morning by shrieking, I can't really say singing, School days, school days, good old golden rule days, and on and on. So that is the wonderful mornings of my childhood every single morning. And it's just that consistency and that sense of love and caring that she brought into your bedroom every morning that stayed with you so that that tune that she sang is also a part of your memory when you think back to her. Absolutely. And what's so funny, Bill, as you can imagine, in your teenage years, you don't want to get woken up because you stayed up way too late, either doing homework or talking on the phone with your friends or whatever it may be. And you still felt warm inside and you still smiled, even though as a teenager, you were irritated by it. And she was never phased by our irritation. You know, she was never phased. She loved us all so unconditionally and was just so giving to the entire community, the church, our family, just an amazing example of serving others in my young life that I, I cherish to this day. Can you think of a time, Terry, when you were actually making a decision or you're about to have a conversation with someone and the memory of your grandmother came to you and it helped you alter maybe the tone with which you were going to approach the situation or make a decision just about what you're going to do or how you're going to spend your time? Absolutely. And I, I, couldn't even begin to list how frequently that happens. I have continual conversations with her in prayer and meditation daily. But most profoundly, I think it's when somebody seems to be in distress. So I remember at a very young age, grandma helping, you know, giving rides to people she saw walking on the side of the road. I remember we were driving, I grew up in Wisconsin, and we were driving from our small town in Milwaukee, and there's a hitchhiker on the side of the interstate, and she's pulling over. I mean, anyone in need my grandma took care of so I think I, I feel her and hear her when I see somebody struggling. And obviously, in my work as an executive coach, that comes into play, but also throughout the community. And she was very giving. She never worried about receiving. She always knew that what she gave would come back to her. And that resonates with me both professionally and personally. You know, I think that 
people who have that kind of influence grow up with more of an, a sense of abundance that you just don't look transactionally. Well, I'll help you if you help me next Tuesday do, you know, planting or, or weeding or something. It's just, no, I just want to give because I can have the capability of giving. I have the, I, you know, so lucky in my life that I have the resources and time and experience to be able to share and be generous and helpful with others. Yes, I would say all of those things, definitely that abundance mindset and, and the willingness and desire to give. The other thing that always struck me about grandma was she noticed. She noticed when somebody was in need, even if they weren't aware or were trying to conceal it. She noticed. And that stays with me deeply, that just an awareness of others or a, a sensitivity to an ability to, to feel somebody else's need even if it was unspoken or concealed in some way, was amazing to watch as a young person. Something as simple as her talking to a cashier at the grocery store as we were checking out when I was a young girl and saying something hopeful or touching you know, the young cashier's hand and watching the mood of that person change. Just, I swear she was an earth angel. I have a grandmother who I relate to in that way as well. So I'm gonna ask you just one more question about this. With your grandmother, did you ever see her hesitate when she saw someone who was in need to go offer a kind word, to offer a ride, to drive her to the doctor or something like that? No, I, I can't think of a time. She volunteered as a driver for the county she lived in until she was 85. She, yeah, the woman maybe shouldn't have been driving at that point, but she, no, never hesitated, always looking for more ways to give. No, I can't think of a time, though. Terry, one of the other things I think is really true is, is that people who are on a mission, whether it's a mission to do the best they can, be the best person they can, fulfill their purpose through God's eyes as they see it, or build a terrific business and, and be someone of influence in their industry and in their community to their employees, when you're on a mission, it really helps you overcome a lot of the limitations of shyness or awkwardness that might be there if someone wasn't motivated and driven by this larger mission. Have you found that to be true as well? Absolutely. I think there's a pull. I mean, there's an invisible pull that pulls your insides forward and the external distractions or hurdles seem somehow manageable or even unnoticeable because you're so focused on where you're going and or why you're going there that it helps to override what could otherwise be seen as a stumbling block, a barrier, or, or something else that might impede your progress. I, I would agree with that statement. It's so true. And it's also very much something that I found evident in the stories that you tell in, is this a lousy job or is it me? Maybe they came into a job and didn't feel like they had a purpose, but suddenly helping the people around them be successful, helping the company reach its goals, help them overcome some of their limiting beliefs, some of their social rough edges. Can you think of an example of, from some of the people you've worked with or researched where that was the case? I can think immediately of Jocelyn, who's actually mentioned in the book. She is currently a chief operating officer at a company that has 90 employees in the Northeast Wisconsin area. And they're in the, they support the transportation industry. They're actually a disruptive organization to the industry because they're bringing technology and data that is reshaping fuel in the transportation industry, uh, fuel utilization. So it's an amazing company. And uh, Jocelyn was, when we met, she was very young. I've been coaching her on and off over more than eight years at this point. 
And she was actually in the yuckiness stage when I met her, where everything seemed like a barrier, where everything seemed as though it was difficult to overcome. And I remember her entering the yuckiness stage because she came into a coaching session one day and started telling me about political observations she made and some shenanigans going on. And what was adorable about that, Bill, was she was saying, Terry, I have no idea when we became such a political organization. I'm just shocked by the manipulation. And it had always been, the stuff had always been going on, but she just became aware of it. So that was her entry into yuckiness. But watching her learn how to navigate that and move to the fear stage where she learned how to use protection, which is the fear stage is a legitimate stage in development where you learn to use some self-protection to navigate some of these things that helped her move through this stuff, promoting her, you know, move through the stuff in a productive way that wasn't harmful to others that helped her learn how to navigate. And it helped her promote through the organization in a very effective way as she navigated the fear stage. That can make such a difference. And I think everyone listening, especially as a leader in a business, you're a manager, you're a director, you're a chief ex officer, chief operating officer, chief executive officer, you have people reporting to you. And that alone becomes part of the mission that helps you step outside your comfort zone to a greater degree. Absolutely. And we could stay with Jocelyn. She really struggled. One of the uh, pieces of feedback that she had received, we had done a 360 and, you know, it continued to work with her through a bunch of different leadership development opportunities, but people perceived her as being robotic and unable to connect with them when they reported to her. So as we've, you know, just to stay with her on this journey, the protection of the fear stage kind of prevented her from the warmth and connection that she was capable of because she was kind of caught up in her own thing and how to navigate some of the politics and navigate promotions and navigate how to influence the business. And so moving her, helping her understand how to navigate through the fear stage and arrive at the next stage, which is the authenticity stage, became instrumental in her ability to connect with warmth to those direct reports that she was responsible for inspiring. So it was a, it was a beautiful journey to witness, as you can imagine. I really am just excited when I think about that. It's something that people in leadership fail to recognize often, is that what a gift it is to actually give people responsibility for others because it helps you really evolve as a person. It's not just the additional responsibilities and the status and perhaps pay that, that increases, but when you're given more responsibility, you have the opportunity to move and become a better version of yourself if you look at it as that opportunity. There may be many opportunities and circumstances which give you the chance to evolve that way, but when you have responsibility riding on it, I think that creates more of a channel and a situation that facilitates that. Have you seen that as well? Absolutely. When somebody is not acquiring greater and greater responsibility, in terms of the model in the book, the bifable model, and the option to use the workplace as one platform in life to develop your character, there really isn't the push to continue to use the work experiences as a platform to develop your character if responsibility does not continue to increase. So I would agree with that. And I actually think it compels people forward in their development. It invites all sorts of new development opportunities and experiences and or re-experiences, you know, to try and do it differently, to try different skills. So the more somebody extends themselves to experience different things or more responsibility, the more quickly, perhaps, 
or more effectively, perhaps they move forward in their character development. So, Terry, one of the things that I think is true is that I think that a lot of people listening to this may have risen to their level of responsibility through their technical expertise. And they're now hearing the phrase character development and saying, what, I've got to be more touchy-feely? <laughs> Can you expand on that so that people could really see and understand the fullness of what this offer is as a leader? You could use this as an opportunity to really develop those character traits and go further using your work responsibilities as a role for professional and personal development. The way I define character in the book is it's one's mental and moral qualities. And so the mental qualities that I'm talking about, so I, I do want to, it's not going to be just touchy-feely because the mental qualities would be reason, the ability to make decisions, to focus, anticipate, choose your responses, be resilient, create, adapt, among other things. The moral qualities that are a part of character are honesty, integrity, fairness, courage, respect for self and others, and things like fortitude and loyalty. So it, it really is the core of who you are, the essence of your character that you have an opportunity to develop. So at different stages, we're working on different of these mental and moral qualities. What is important to me is that instead of looking back in hindsight in terms of being a leader, because yes, your technical skills are extraordinarily valuable in your organization and industry. But what I would like for people to do is to be present and intentional about developing their character instead of arriving at 45, 50, 55 years of age and looking backwards and saying, oh, I can see my journey. I think you can be fully present during that journey at any age, including you know 55 and 60, to say, okay, I'm in the authenticity stage and now I know that the next stage is boundaries let me have an eye towards that or let me let me challenge myself to really formulate the best version of my character in this authenticity stage so that I can successfully move to the boundary stage. So it's about creating almost a meta-awareness in terms of character, mental, moral qualities to move yourself intentionally. So it should really add value to those technical skills you may have already developed. And it'll certainly, if you're a small business owner like myself, add value to your decision-making, your ability to make decisions, your ability to reason, your ability to be courageous as a business person. I love that you finished with courageousness because that's such an important quality for people who are leading, especially now. We're in the midst of the pandemic, and in many ways, it's been a reset button for businesses. Business leaders, whether you're a manager or a CEO or founder or president, you've had your business disrupted by having to work outside and remotely in the office. And in many ways, it's allowed people to step up to new levels of responsibility. And I think it'll be even more common for people to think about it, that people who you thought might have been doing really well might have shown themselves to not have the capabilities, skills, strengths, or courage required to lead remotely because it means starting over in certain instances starting over and being able to establish rapport, starting over and building those relationships through Zoom meetings rather than in person. Can you address that for a moment with some of the experiences you've had with working with clients during this period? Absolutely. The areas I'm focusing on with a lot of the founders, business owners, executives, but as well as some of the upper middle level leaders that I'm coaching would be the mental qualities of the ability to be resilient, the ability to anticipate, and the ability to adapt. 
So those three mental qualities specifically are areas I'm focusing on with the people that I'm coaching right now, because those are critical to our ability to handle these changes or this disruption in the way we do business. I would say from a moral quality standpoint, courage is enormous right now, as well as fortitude. And there is an interesting redefinition going on during this pandemic of both respect for self, which includes a whole different level of self-care and ability to understand the need for boundaries, regardless of whether or not you are actually in the boundary stage of character development, whatever stage you're in, what kind of boundaries do you need to make sure you're taking care of yourself with the new strains of staring at a screen all day, every day, or not being able to be around people who give you energy usually. And there's a redefinition as well of respect for others. You know, there's people working at home now who have children that they're trying to help with online schooling while they're doing their job. And, you know, other people, a spouse may have lost their job due to the pandemic. And now somebody is, has the pressure of, you know, providing for their family differently. So there's some redefining going on. So I do try to bring that to the fore and also simultaneously while working on those to help people be the best leaders and business owners that they can be throughout the pandemic for themselves and for the people they're leading and for clients as well, is also then put that into the broader context of the bifable model to show them where they're at and what these particular mental and moral qualities can look like and how they can help this person move to the next stage of character development. So, you know, as an executive coach, in every difficult situation, I see an opportunity for growth. I see an opportunity for character development, for leadership development that I, I try to take advantage of and try to help the person be the good, uh, their own growth in any difficult situation. Let me just share a little perspective. We talked about by fable, and that's actually an acronym for your model. And it talks about the progression of the mental and moral development that people go through in careers. And it starts with the two first phases are the beginning phase and the yuckiness phase. That's the by portion of it. And then fable starts with fear, moving to authenticity, then to boundaries, love, and exit. So that gives people who are listening a model for what it is. And as we talked about the need to increase your awareness, every time you have a model or a concept, it allows you to check and see where you are and anticipate what's coming next. And then proactively, and intentionally choose what experiences, challenges, or ways that you want to flex your muscles and develop yourself to move to the next phase. Is that a helpful way of describing what you set out to do with the book? That is a helpful way. My goal was to give people a sense of empowerment, well, awareness and empowerment as to what was going on and some of the experiences that seemed off-putting, confusing, frustrating I wanted people to have a context for what they were going through. And I wanted to offer help to anyone who may shrink or seize up or uh, rebel against some of the things they go through in the workplace to say, okay, here's another way of looking at it. What if there's, I can give you some meta awareness to the broader picture of what you're going through throughout the life of your career so that you can use these confusing, frustrating opportunities instead of freezing, seizing, or or rebelling, you can use them and see them as the opportunities for growth that they are. So I want people to feel empowered about moving themselves forward and, and taking advantage of difficult situations in the workplace to grow themselves. Because it's my fundamental belief and experience that as you develop your character, 
you make better decisions in line with who you are and your values, et cetera, which brings you greater fulfillment from what you do. And if you're more fulfilled by what you do, you generally are going to be more successful at what you do. So it all starts with character development, which leads to greater fulfillment, which leads to greater success. Say, Terry, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? I am so ready. I've been looking forward to this. When you were a teenager, what song did you find inspiring? I keep thinking of Duran Duran. I loved Hungry Like the Wolf. I have no idea why, but I thought that that sounded powerful. And I thought that just the rhythm of it and the lyrics of it sounded like I could do anything. Like I could be the wolf. Terry, what would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made in the last six months? In the last six months, oh, you're going to love this. It is the light for my social media. (laughs) There's a, a ring light that you can have. So when you make little videos, you don't look like you're 100 years old with your normal home lighting. And that's very handy and fancy. And I didn't know that there was such a thing and that it could brighten up a video and make a video more noticeable and more beautiful and more uh, engaging because it doesn't look dim and and frightening. So here's a question I think you're going to really like. If you think back over the last year, what's an important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped? that's led to the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Monitoring my food. (laughs) I would say I'm a a very clean eater and um, usually keep gluten and refined sugar and things either eliminated or to a minimum. And I've allowed myself to enjoy the sensory experience of different foods, you know, everything in moderation. You still take care of your physical body through exercise. But I've allowed myself to enjoy the sensory experience of different foods differently, intentionally knowing it's a season of comfort for me throughout this pandemic. So that's been quite pleasurable, to say the very least. Terry, when we think about some of the issues that many leaders are facing now, burnout has to be among the top because people are, many people I've found, are not just working in order to meet their goals but they're working in inefficient ways. They're trying to overcompensate and be available outside of all normal business hours and blurring the boundaries between work and business. What do you advise leaders who are noticing that themselves are experiencing burnout or some of their people are experiencing that sense of just not getting into it because they're feeling so burned out? And that is a very real phenomenon. You are right on with that one. With many of my executives right now, we talk about the importance of setting a good example. And we talk about the fact that they need to, first of all, manage themselves appropriately. So they need to make good decisions, be resilient, you know, self-care, respect for self, all of these things so that they're demonstrating the ability to be resilient and the ability to be even through this crisis. And I start with, How are you demonstrating that you're still going to go for a run or that you're not going to be sending emails at 1.30 in the morning? How can we begin to set the appropriate tempo and the appropriate tone in this? We could all work 24 hours a day from home world right now. We all feel like we want to contribute either for personal reasons or a sense of professional demand. And so it starts with the leaders far and away or the, the owner far and away. So with, in terms of leaders and how they coach their direct reports, 
I have an individual that I work with in Minneapolis. She's a young leader. We'll call her Amy. And she right now is the director of operations for an investment firm. And she has all of the traders and operations and different individuals, IT reporting to her. And they're working crazy hours right now. And they can all work all day because they're working from their desks at home. So one of the things that I had suggested to Amy is on top of engaging in weekly or biweekly conversations and checking in on each of the people who report to her, I've also suggested to Amy that she take the time to ask them to log their hours, to keep track of their hours, and to be aware of how many hours over their standard 40 or 50 hour work week they're working. And then based on that, have the conversation about are we prioritizing and working on the right things? Just because we can be working on things doesn't mean we should be. So really taking the ownership for the prioritization and the time management, as well as continuing to model the self-care and healthy boundaries herself and encouraging that of her direct report. Well, Terry, you have been so generous in sharing with us today on My Quest for the Best. I want to thank you so much for talking with us and sharing about your grandmother and the, the terrific, warm influence and generous example that she shared in your life. I'd love to make sure that we highlight the idea about having a mission, being in an invisible pull across distances and over hurdles. I want to thank you for sharing about Jocelyn, who was struggling with some of the issues that she was working through with making political observations and wondering where did it come from and how did this happen as she became more aware as a leader. I want to thank you for sharing with us your book, Is This a Lousy Job or Is It Me? And the by fable model that helps us understand those different steps and the stages and how we can anticipate and use it as a guide so that our development, our professional development becomes more intentional. We had a great discussion around courage and how important that is. And the, the two parts of this, of character development, the mental as well as the moral parts that make it so critical and is appropriate for all people in leadership positions. I want to thank you for these as well as so many more reasons for sharing with us on My Quest for the Best. Thank you so much, Bill. It's been a pleasure to be here. Terry, before we say goodbye for now, can you share with us a website where we can go to find out more about you and your work online? Yes. Uh, the website that would be most convenient is isthisalousyjob.com. And that'll take you to the book and to my organization's website as well. We're going to link to that as well as all of your other social media, as well as business posts from the and show notes on this episode. Terry Jackie, author of Is This a Lousy Job or Is It Me? I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you very much, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.